0: So last time we were we were talking about we kind of started the whole section of of Jacob, and Jacob paints this picture for us of, of a whole lot of different things really, but uh, it's a big piece of uh, as far as stories go in the book of Genesis. Jacob is a large a large piece of of, of the of the whole, and then you know Joseph is another huge one. Bo- both of them for me, I just feel like every time I read through the story of Jacob or the story of Joseph, um, it just keeps coming more and more. Like I, I, I think to myself, how did I not see that before? I mean, this is so clear. God couldn't have made it more clear, but just as with all things, until you see, uh, something of the substance, you don't really recognize the shadow. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, you think, I mean, in a sense, the shadows help you better see and understand the substance, and there's some truth to that too. It seems like, but but you can't even really start to recognize the shadow until you've seen uh, a little bit of the substance. You don't know what you're looking at. But when you start to when when you're, the Lord begins to open the eyes of your heart and show you Christ, then you read through these Old Testament stories and and. They jump out at you because they're 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 painting these clear and obvious pictures of something the Lord has just dealt with your heart about. And before they were just telling a story, you know, they were just relating a uh, a story of a person and or, or telling the uh, the details of a ceremony or whatever. And all of a sudden, because the Lord has struck your heart with something of the reality. That he was testifying to. Suddenly, the shadow, the types, in the shadows jump off the page, and it's and, and it's and it's it's amazing uh, because it's for me at least. It's always like, how did I not see that? Because not only does it say it here, it says it here, here. Suddenly, like there's ten stories that tell the exact same, speak of the exact same reality, and I feel like that's that's what's happened to my heart in the story of J- Jacob. A few years ago, the Lord started kind of opening up this story to my heart. And I don't think I said much about it in the 2008 Types and Shadows class that I did. Maybe just a little bit, but I don't think I was seeing much back then. But a couple of years ago, I think I was in Costa Rica, and and uh, and I just felt like I couldn't read this story enough. And anyway, so we talked about last time the and, and I love that first part of the story of, of Jacob, where the Jacob and Esau thing, and 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 you know. So, in a manner of speaking deceiving Isaac but, but really um, that's not what the story is about it's it's about the a people a nation a Jacob the second the second Israel the second people uh, 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 the spiritual versus the natural clothing itself in the right of the firstborn and receiving uh, the the blessing and the inheritance from the father and we talked about that and got into the, a lot of the details there and I just think that's such a such an incredible story, but if you remember, and and uh, if you haven't read these stories in a, in a while, I would really recommend just spend some time read over the stories of Jacob and Joseph. You know, it's I don't know ten, fifteen chapters of Genesis. Uh, it, 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 just read it a few times. You know, at least to familiarize yourself uh, with the the story, so that it's it's there in the you know in the brain in, in in your in your memory so that the spirit of god can can kind of breathe on it and bring it to life a little bit um so after that whole thing with the, uh, Jacob taking the blessing taking the birthright and then taking the, the blessing Esau becomes uh, quite angry and then there's this thing where once again Rebecca um gives advice to her son Jacob, and 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 the, the, as far as I can see, this uh, like a second picture or another, another big theme, uh, evolves out of this out of this character Jacob, and it's this theme of, um, it's a son, it's a father sending a son, on a journey, to, to get a wife and to return, okay, to get his. Bride and to come back, and those—that's really what's going on here. Okay, uh, he doesn't. The father does not want Jacob to take a wife. Just, just like Abraham saying about Isaac earlier, in, in previous chapters. Now it's Isaac saying it about Jacob. You, I, you cannot take a wife of 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 the flesh. You cannot be joined to something that's uh, from this Adamic, fleshly Canaanite uh, line. You have to take something to yourself that comes out from there and comes comes with you where you are and and that's what Christ does with us he takes us out he doesn't he doesn't marry adam the story of the bride and the bridegroom despite how it's often presented in the church today it's not a love affair between the son of god and the adamic race it's not it is a it is a relationship of union between the Son of God and that new creation that He bestows His own life upon. It's not Him joining Himself to something opposite and contrary to Himself. It's Him joining Himself to something that He's given the life to that that has actually come out of that world of sin and death that He came out from. So here, this story, the story previous to this with Isaac and Rebecca, there there's these pictures and they're they're important that God. And, and and you know what they're important because the church misses it. Because if you if you if you if you read uh, normal stuff that, that's that's talked about, and again, and again, you guys know my heart. I'm not I'm not just trying to slam the church or anything. I just it's just wrong. Uh, I mean, th- this idea is just it's just wrong. It's wrong uh, on the bumper stickers and in the best selling books. It's not the idea that God's in love with you just as you are is wrong. The, the truth is that God's love for you brings you out of what you are by nature and gives you all that he is so that then there can be a union of life in Christ. Do you see the difference? The difference is so, to God, for God to join himself to the, for God to, give himself join himself unite mary and all these pictures of union in the old testament and the declarations of union in the new if if that had to do with jesus christ union with the adamic man not only would it totally contradict everything that we know about the the nature of god but it would also contradict every single picture and type and shadow we have throughout the two thousand pages of the old testament declaring there is no mixture of seeds there is no mixture of of peoples there is no there's a pure holy sanctified set apart uh, nation country uh, covenant people race and the only way to get into that thing Depending on the picture, in these pictures, it's about coming out from something totally fleshly and coming in, coming the way out with Christ into this union. And other ones, you have to be circumcised before you can even enter in. And in other ones, I mean, you have to paint blood on a door and and go into that death. And I mean, but but God goes out of His way, is my point, to show us that the thing that he will join himself to has to have him as its very life and substance and source so 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 it starts there it's not a matter of and I, i'm kind of off on a rabbit trail already but i'll take it it's not a matter of forgiving adam the church because we don't understand the greatness of our death we make the greatness of salvation about forgiveness instead of new life. We know that there's some scriptures in there about new life, about death with Christ or whatever. But really, when we talk about inviting people to Christ, what do we say? We say they need to have their sins forgiven. They need to be washed, washed of their sins. And, and there is forgiveness of sins, but it's for those who are in Christ who have already died with him, been buried and raised. So, so, so when Ephesians says, when God saw you um, uh, dead in sins and transgressions, what does he do? He, let me just read it here, yeah, even, okay, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, so how did he manifest that love? Well, even when we were dead in our transgressions, this is Ephesians 2 verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he forgave our sins. That's not what it says. It says when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. Together with Christ, together with Christ, and then and then and then in, in Christ there is forgiveness of sins. But but the 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 thing that he had to do first is this thing that he that that's what that's part of this picture. That's the picture of Rebecca. That's the picture of Rachel. What he had What did he have to do first? He had to first bring us out of death into life, and then part of that covenant relationship with him is that in him there is forgiveness, and that's great. I mean, that's. But you you don't you. It's. I don't know. I don't want to go off in this separate, like somewhat tangential subject. But the the thing that impresses me about these stories is that he will not join himself. Not in this story. Not in the story before this. Not in so many stories. And there's other stories of people getting in, getting in trouble, like Solomon, for joining him himself to something outside the boundaries of Israel. God will not do it. In order for God to be joined to something. Well, how how did Adam find a wife? Did he just stumble across a, a pretty looking girl in the garden? Or did that woman come out from him and was given back to him? Was that woman the actual increase of his life and then was given back? To him as his own glory and increase, or or what what does what does it say in Ephesians five twenty five that Christ loved the church and gave himself to her in order to purify her and sanctify her and then give her back to him as his own glory. I mean that's that's what's going on here in this story, and that you just can't you can't overstate it. The importance of it, because if you don't see that you don't that 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 the seed of God doesn't marry a Canaanite, then all of the bridal language and the marriage language and the covenant language that's filling the Old Testament is going to be to us a a a love affair uh, between Christ and the actually a love affair between Christ and the man that He condemns and puts away. It's false. It's a lie. It sounds good. It makes you feel, you know, I don't know, romantic Jesus feelings or whatever. I don't know what you call it. But, you know, I, I say that because I used to be in those – I used to lead worship in, in those kind of meetings where you'd sing songs about, you know, Jesus pursuing you and and, and it's, it's – you know, some people jokingly call them Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Because that's what the that's what the language is like, you know. It's he just wants your love. He you know he just wants your he wants to be enthroned upon your infections. Come down and kiss me, you know, kind of stuff. And 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 that language is in the Bible, but not between Christ and the Adamic man. It's between Christ and a man that he has, or a woman in this case. The language of it is a woman that he has given his own life to. That's why he says to, that's why Adam says to Eve right away, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you are called woman because you were taken out of me. Well, you know, Rachel and Leah, this, this story too, if you read right before this, Esau had taken wives from among the Canaanites and the Hittites or whatever, and it was very displeasing to the father and mother. And the mother says to the, to, you know, Rebecca says to to Isaac, if Jacob takes a woman, uh, a, a bride from among the Canaanites, then what good is my life to me? I'd rather die. You know, I mean, maybe she's exaggerating. I don't know, but uh, in any case, the point is he needs to go pull out a woman out of the one realm and bring him back, bring her back to to his father, which is exactly what Christ does for us. So that 's kind of what what I think big picture again I, I like to take take a bunch of steps backwards, look at the big picture of what 's going on here in this story, and then we can start zooming in on some of the details and, and Once you kind of have a little bit of the big picture then then the then the uh, the details within the uh, within the story, start to fill in all the gaps within that framework, you know. Um, at least that's how it seems to come into focus in my heart. I see a, like, what, what is this next, like, you know, several chapters? What is this about? This is about Christ leaving his father, going into a hostile land where he has to wrestle, where he has to fight, and s- so to speak, against someone that is trying to keep him from getting an inheritance. Nevertheless, He gets an inheritance, he gets an inheritance with a bride, and he brings it back to the place, brings that inheritance, that bride, back to the place where he started. Now, if that doesn't sound like a familiar story to us, then there's something wrong. That's the story of the gospel jesus that's the story of moses starts on mount sinai goes out gathers up a people brings them back to mount sinai and they enter into the mountain you know that's the story you know there, there's so many uh pictures of, of that same story um but that's what's going on here so um i like here in gen it just i'm it's just i'm starting this kind of in genesis 28 to 29 but if you skip ahead a little bit to where he's actually coming back, in Genesis 32.10, I think is what I wrote down here, it says, He crossed the Jordan with only his staff in his hand, and he returned as two large companies. And uh, and I think that's, that's a good way of talking about um, Jesus entering into the world with only a cross, with only a staff in his hand, so to speak, and then coming back with uh, believers from the first and from the second you know, believers from Old Covenant Israel and New Covenant Israel. And uh, so, so okay, so as he goes out, I'm going to read a few verses here from Genesis 28. Oops. Yeah, Genesis 28. Let's um, start in verse 11. This is just as... Um, Jacob is going out. I, if I mess up the names, you'll have to just forgive me. I, I sometimes call Jacob Joseph and Isaac Abraham and Rachel Rebecca. I, I just I, I do that sometimes, and I, I realize it like 45 seconds after I just said it, and I don't, I don't go back and correct it. So um, Genesis 28:11. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones at that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached into the heavens. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Uh, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your seed. Also, your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's, and this is in somewhat, somewhat just a repetition of the, the blessings he started to give to Abraham and Isaac. Right. Um, Fifteen. Behold. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done... I I just read over that too quick. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And... um, this is a, I, I love it. I, I love the story. This is um, one of those many times where you don't have to wonder about... I wonder if this is a picture of, of Christ in some way or another. Jesus himself, uh, you, know, you could say you have it on pretty good authority that this is talking about Jesus because Jesus himself took this story, this description of this ladder... And applied it to himself in John chapter one. I think it's fifty-two. Let me look it up here. Um, maybe fifty-one. John one. Yeah, remember when he's talking to uh, Nathaniel, and or no, was it Philip? No, yeah, Nathaniel. Let's start in. Uh, forty seven. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you and you under the fig tree I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these You'll see greater things than these. And then he and then he tells them the greater thing tells them the greater thing that they will see. All right. Now, incidentally, they never saw this as a physical vision, I mean, a, 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 a vision with open eyes. But this is exactly what they came to see. This is exactly how they came to understand the gospel. Well, what will you see? Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, just notice that he takes out the word ladder and he puts in the word. He's basically quoting uh, this verse here from uh, Genesis 28, but he takes out the word ladder and he inserts the phrase "son of man" because the son of man is uh, is that access, is that that place where heaven and earth come together as a, as a tabernacle, as a temple for god and for those whom god calls up to himself and there's lots of language uh, like this um, J- jesus himself in a sense i mean there's there's some language that talks about jesus being the temple of god the tabernacle of god and then there's other language that talks about us being the table uh, us being the temple of god in which god dwells and and both of those are true uh, it just depends on what angle you're looking at it from. If you're looking at it from the crisis in us, or we're in Christ, you know, those are both, and and we're in the Father. I mean, th- those three aspects of of our relationship to God, our union with with the Lord, um, are talked about in various places. There's there's a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about us being in Christ, um, and then there's there's. Not maybe quite as many, but a, a ton that talk about Christ being in us. I mean, or maybe it's the other way around. But in either in either case, there's a whole lot of both of them. And then there's there's a number two. Uh, uh, there's a number of uh, us being hidden with Christ in God, or you know that uh, He will take us to the Father, or things like that. So, but so depending on how you look at it, we're the temple, or He's the temple. But the, the, it, the point is, it speaks of this dwelling place. And I think the view that we're we're meant to see here is that Christ himself is it's a it's a ladder out of one realm and into another. Christ himself is that place that that God and man can dwell together. He is the intercession he is the mediation you know mediation or intercession isn't Jesus standing between two separate and opposite. Uh, types of life, C- intercession or mediation. The picture that should come to mind is Christ Himself being the place, the meeting place, the joining together place of the the place where these two th- uh, come together, where heaven and earth come together in in Christ. And it reminds me of Ephes- or Ephesians Exodus fifteen seventeen, where God says to to Mo- well, I think it may be Moses that says it, but. It's in the it's in the Song of Moses where he says, "God, you will, you will bring them out and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O oh God, that you have chosen for your own dwelling place." Now that's obviously speaking of Christ. He's taking them out, and and you see a picture of this later when they go when the seventy elders and Moses and. Uh, Aaron and his two sons go up into the mountain and eat uh, and drink and see god but um but but the real fulfillment of that the mount- the real mountain the real thing that comes out up from the earth and and down from the heavens is christ the thing that brings heaven and earth together is is this person, and God plants us there, and it's also the place that God has chosen for himself to dwell forever so I just think it's really really neat how um the Lord quotes this, but then kind of inserts his own name in, in in the place of in the place of the word ladder. And again, he speaks to him when he's talking with with reference to this place, to this land, to this Bethel, which is house of God. Uh, again, this is all language. This is the language Jesus uses in John fourteen: the house, my Father's house, the house of God. He begins to speak to him about a, about a great increase, the the greatness of the seed. And and the fact that even though Jacob is going out from Bethel, he will bring him back again. And he does. That, you know, that's part of the story here in like 32 or something like that. Um, uh, I think it, it's after the incident with Dinah. Jacob says, okay, everyone put away your idols. We're going back to Bethel where the Lord appeared to me. And, and so everyone buries their idols in front of this oak tree uh and, and then they go and meet the lord in in, uh, in bethel so they they come out from bethel he gathers up this inheritance and then he brings that whole thing back with him uh to where he started yeah this this one little phrase here where it says surely the lord was here and i knew it not this is a little bit a little bit off the, to- to the topic, but I've heard uh, Jimmy Ned Collins talk about this a lot and this verse because um, he uses it a lot to talk about how someone starts to feel when they start to see Christ in them when they start to have Christ revealed in them if they've been a believer but haven't if they have had had come to salvation years before but hadn't really started to grow in the light of life or the light of that salvation and suddenly they begin to see the lord it's it's true it's it's kind of like the declaration of your heart that something that comes out of you surely the lord was here and i knew it not talking about your own soul, your own heart. Surely this is none other than the house of God. I don't know, that's just a little side note there, but I just I like that comment for that reason. All right, so Jacob then continues on in this journey and he arrives in Laban's territory. It seems to me that this land of Laban, um, both in this story... And in and the previous story of um, Isaac, remember when Isaac's servant or Abraham's servant went back to his home country to get a um, a bride for Isaac, and he found Rebekah. Laban, as a young man then, was the one saying, you know, let my sister stay for a while, and how about just ten days, you know, and in and, and a little in a much more abbreviated story was kind of giving these excuses as to why she doesn't really have to go yet or let's slow this thing down a little bit or whatever. And he he kind of comes and, and plays the exact same role now with Rebecca's son and with his daughter, Rachel. So I see both in that story and in this one, it seems to me like Laban um, and his his kingdom, or his territory—not really a kingdom but it's his territory. He's obviously a powerful man. He's got lots of servants, lots of cattle, lots of power, and whatever in that in that particular part of uh, that the land. And they, and they, and it seems to me that that represents this this hostile environment. Uh, in some ways, you could say it's like a picture of Egypt or a picture of the natural world that's under the control or under the manipulation of some someone that is doing, like Pharaoh or like Satan or whatever, however you want to see it, is doing whatever he can to prevent the seed, Jacob in this case, from getting its increase. And, and then also, once it starts to get the increase, changing, you know, manipulating, changing the wages, trying to steal sheep um uh, out from his fold and and then ultimately trying trying to prevent uh the seed from taking his inheritance back to the father and all of that is right there i mean it's 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 the same thing that we saw in the exodus story there's little little slivers of it i think in um in the rebecca isaac story and here it's kind of it's we have more details so so jacob comes into this land and he becomes, he could say, he becomes one with it, like Christ becoming flesh, like a, like a Philippians chapter two. He came, you know, humbled himself and found himself in the form of a man, and and humbled himself and and became uh, became like them, took on flesh and blood. Well, first thing that Laban. One of the first things that Laban says to Jacob when he comes in, he says, "Look, you're—it's uh, verse 24 or 14. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." And I think, you know, in some ways, the Adamic man could say that to Christ when he entered into the world. He was born of a woman. He was born of flesh and blood. He was tempted in all ways as we were. He, you know, he—he uh, he didn't have the—the the nature of sin. The inherent nature of sin, like we do, but but nevertheless, he came as a man. He came into that realm and, and and became one with it in order to put it away, in order to to have it crucified and buried in himself, and then rise out from it, bringing a bringing a new creation, a new people, his own bride, his own inheritance, back with him to the Father. It's it's the same thing, but um, but 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 it it just struck me as interesting as I was reading through this again that Laban just says, "You're look, come come stay with me. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." Then you the the, the next several uh, sections, maybe several chapters, have to do with Laban's several attempts in different ways to not give to Jacob the thing he's come for. And, and, and here's the thing about the story: Jacob knows exactly what he wants. And and in this story, we see another picture of the first and the second. I think with Leah and. Uh, uh, Rachel, you know, is the is the second. Leah is the first. Leah is the first, and and Jacob comes in and immediately loves the second, loves the younger. But but Laban tries to keep his daughters, the ones that by birth belong to him by by their natural birth, by their natural uh, heritage or, or, or lineage. They belong to this evil um, controlling ruler of this of this land. They're his. And so in order to bring them out, Jacob has to actually, he has to marry them. He has to join himself to to them. He has to become bone of their bone, flesh of their, their flesh, and then become one with them in order to have the right to take them out. And even then, even after that, Laban tries to, to stop Stop their exodus to keep them there to, to minimize their their inheritance, so kind of in a big picture way, you see him he he, he first tricks uh, Jacob and gives him gives him Leah instead of Rachel and then um, and makes him work seven years for the one and then finally gives uh, uh, Leah and then tricks him with that, and then gives Rachel, but then makes him work seven years more for that and so, about this thing about I was going to get into the sheep and the goats here, but um how oh, we do it on time. the story of Leah and Rachel to me is like I just said a minute ago it it's a it's another story of the first and the second, the way that the first in some ways is not what God wants is rejected or isn't um isn't the the apple of his eye or the the thing that his heart longs for from the beginning, and uh, we've seen this with Cain and Abel, uh, we've seen this with Isaac and Ishmael, we've seen this with Jacob and Esau. That might be it up until now. I can't remember, but now we're seeing it again with with uh, Leah and Rachel. And and from as soon as Jacob enters into uh, this territory, his heart was set on the second. In a sense, you can kind of say he tolerated the first, but it never really was what pleased him. The first gave him sons, it gave him sons first, while the second remained barren. But the first was never described as being the form that he wanted. In fact, it says that Rachel was beautiful of form and faith, but Leah uh, had weak eyes, which is an interesting description of of the old covenant. I think, in some ways, or the first, the first Israel, or the first covenant. So from the beginning, um, Jacob knew what he wanted. His heart was for Rachel, and and remember the first, it's. When you're talking about the first, it's not necessarily something bad. It's just not the second. The first in itself just represents the first creation, the first covenant, the first man. It's it's that which paints a picture of and points to the second, but it's not necessarily... When, a lot of times when we think of the first, we think of sin, we think of evil, we think of Satan. Well, that's what happened in the first, but that's not really what the first is by definition. The first is just not the second. It's just the promise. It's the shadow. It's the prophecy. It's a natural picture of a spiritual reality. So it's good for what it is. You know, What was wrong with, with Cain's um, offering? Well, I think I mean, you could speculate a lot to different things, but one of the things I think we're meant to see there is that what was wrong with Cain's offering? It just wasn't Abel's. What was wrong with Ishmael? He just wasn't the right seed. You know, he, it's not that he he disqualified himself from it somehow by something he did. He just wasn't. He just wasn't Isaac. He wasn't the son of faith. He wasn't the son of promise. In the same way, Leah, the first, wasn't the one that Jacob's heart was set on from the beginning. And that's kind of how I see at least in some ways, God's relationship to the old man, the old covenant, and the old creation. Even when it was perfectly good, like when God created in the very beginning and said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Even then, its goodness was the extent to which it pointed to or provided a testimony and shadow of the thing that he really wanted. Uh, I think someone mentioned this morning uh, romans five fourteen that the first man was a type of him who is to come that is Christ, so Adam was very good, natural light was very good, the division between water and 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 dry land was very good, the creation of seeds and increase and harvest and all that stuff was good, it was good, but it was good not because it was the thing that God's heart was set on but but it was good in the sense that the I often say in the sense that the moon is a good light the moon is a great light at night when it's really dark and there's no other light you know it works especially if there's a full moon you can see pretty good compared to pitch dark but it's not good compared to the sun and it's only borrowing the sun's light so it's a good reflection in In that same way, the old covenant, the old creation, the old man uh without even bringing into account the reality of sin and fallenness and perversion and Satan and all those things that filled up the first creation and the first man, but even before that, the first was like Leah. it's just not the second, it's just the picture it's a it's a shadow, it's not the form of a thing. It's not the face of the thing that God wanted. It's and, and and you can see that throughout the old the entire old testament that God never had pleasure in the 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 form of the old covenant in itself in anything. He, he declares it really clearly in a number of times and he even calls it things like the pattern or the copy you know he talks to moses build this according to the pattern and then in solomon perfects that pattern in the temple and then solomon speaking by the spirit says lord you don't really live in this building you don't you the heavens and the highest heavens can't even contain you you know but for the sake of your great name let's let's do this representation and you know, i'm i'm paraphrasing but that's basically what he says he says father you know you've commanded me to build this temple but let's be honest you don't live here but, keep your eyes towards this place and, and if we walk in covenant with you and, and do all the things related to this building, you know forgive us and 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 stay with us and dwell among your people and glorify yourself in this place. But Solomon was one hundred percent aware that that this was a picture of something in fact, all of the old covenant saints. That were walking by faith knew to some extent that they were able to some extent to look through the shadows and realize that they were serving a copy and in a, a figure of of spiritual realities that are now present for us in Christ. They were they were serving. In fact, that's the that's the exact language of Hebrews. I can't remember exactly. It's either in verse or chapter eight, where it says, you know, they served a copy and figure of the things to come of the heavenly things to come. And, and then, so you have the prophets saying things like, "God doesn't, isn't pleased with the blood of your sacrifices." He, you know, bring him no more meal offerings and wave offerings. Or, or, or David, and after he sins with Bathsheba, he says, to, "I love this verse in Psalm 51. He says, I, I wish I could bring you what you really want. And if it was sacrifices, I would do it. But I know that's not what you really want. You, you're not pleased with these shadows.'" This isn't this isn't the form of the thing that you really want. There's just lots of lots of uh, pictures of that, and I think that the Jews always misunderstood that. In general, the Jews actually thought that the actions, the sacrifices, the, the 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 patterns, in themselves, had spiritual substance, and and they never did. And they tried to wield them like they were magic wands, like when they grabbed the ark and they took it out from Eli's care and things like it had some kind of magic power to defeat the enemy and it was taken from them because it wasn't that it wasn't it wasn't the thing in itself but it represented something and so the Jews were always whether it's with the scriptures or with the temple or with the sacrifices or the ordinances of the law they were always trying to find substance in those shadows and the goodness of the shadows they were good and they were commanded but they were good and they were commanded because of what they testified of what they spoke of and we're equally confused you know we think that we still think that god is is pleased and satisfied with the outward uh service of of shadows and we still think that there are sacred people and sacred buildings and sacred ceremonies and and actions that 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 if they have any goodness at all well, in our covenant, they don't, but if they have any if they had any goodness at all, it's in what they it's what they what they spoke to, spoke of so anyway, my point is that God always wanted the substance, always desired Rachel from the very beginning, he knew what his heart wanted, and yet he was pleased to save those so to speak, save those of of Leah and i and i kind of see that as th- like the the first israel natural israel um, those who would join themselves to him those who would come to uh to faith or the 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 believing those who died in faith under the old covenant or something like that i'm not exactly sure i understand the fact that uh that jacob you know ended up with with two wives but it, it seems to me that uh it it's kind of like the the old the the faithful or those who came to faith under the old covenant and those who came to faith uh, those who came to the substance uh, under the new covenant, both of them end up being joined to Jacob and taking back to his father. Let me just say we talked about the birthright last time and how well, you remember that Esau had the birthright and therefore it was his right to get the 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 blessing as well and then Jacob took the birthright and and then he ended up getting the blessing. Um it's interesting in this story that Leah was the first to give birth to a son. So technically he should have the birthright and the right to the inheritance. He should be the natural and well the natural and the spiritual head over his family and then you have Rachel as barren like all of the women who carry the seed of promise. The seed of promise comes out of this barren womb. The seed of promise always has to come out of a dead womb because Christ came out of the womb of death. Because the seed, the true seed came out of the came out of the tomb, came out of a a barren womb, something that had never, something that was dead. Life came out of it. Life came out from death, and and so in in keeping with all of those, um, in, in keeping with the fulfillment, all of these stories of you know Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, several others as well. um, the, the promised seed comes out of the second, comes out of the dead womb. And this story just kind of repeats again right here. Rachel is like Zion, does not have her children first, has her children second. Uh, Leah has, I think, at least six sons before. And then her hand, all of her handmaids have sons, too, for Jacob. And then finally, Rachel the The true wife, Zion, the one who gives birth to spiritual sons, she gives birth to Joseph. And in the story, in fact, I think it says it in like First Corinthians, or First mean Corinthians, First First Chronicles, maybe. Um, but it, 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 it's it's interesting that Joseph actually takes the birthright. Reuben was the firstborn of Leah and had should have had the birthright. But, in this case, Reuben displeased his father. Yeah, First uh, First Chronicles 5, chapter 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. And that's that's really to me. That's I just you know you, you read through Chronicles. There's a lot of numbers and, and chronicles in there, but that that little sentence just says really clearly what we were talking about last week with the birthright. That that this it's the son of the second. It's the it's the it's the one that comes out of the barren womb. It's the the son of Zion that really ends up having all of the brothers bow down to him. Remember the story of Joseph? All the brothers bow down to him, like the stars bow down to him and the, the sheafs of corn bow down to him or whatever. So, All right, I'll stop with that.